welcome to the first episode of the Tudor Her Story. Today's guest is Bonnie Beadle, aka the Catherine Park Society. Hello, Bonnie. How are you doing? Hello, Jess. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to see you and wonderful to be here. I'm very excited to speak about Catherine to you for a really long time. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you so much for having me. No, it's my pleasure to have you on. I am very grateful because obviously I just messaged you out the blue. <laughs> like, hello, do you fancy talking to me? I was like, oh my God, yes. <laughs> When <laughs> are you available now? <laughs> yeah, anytime. Twenty-four hours a day to talk about Catherine. <laughs> oh no, yeah, absolutely. So before we move on to Catherine, because like unlike the other wives of Henry VIII, there is quite a bit to get through when it comes to Catherine. Yeah, to be fair, which is yeah. quite a surprise when it comes to the wives of Henry VIII. <laughs> I mean, it just takes a bit of time, but when someone researches, she's 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 got a story to be told. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And I didn't realise that until like I started researching her properly. It's like, yeah. okay, she's got she's got a bit to go through. Yeah. But before we get on to her, I thought we should ask a bit about you and where your interest in history began. So um, I would say that it started with my father. So some of your listeners may know who he was. So he was a quite famous TV presenter in the 80s. His name was Jeremy Beadle. And on top of doing that, he also just had this thirst for knowledge. And he, I grew up with a library of 22,000 books and it was just full of all different subjects. And he would, he kind of, I think the sort of thirst for knowledge and learning he sort of inflicted upon me when I was quite young. So we'd, you know, we'd go into London and he'd show us the sights and he'd tell me the really odd stories. He just knew sort of weird stories. So like in Whitehall, the the window that Charles I walked out of, um, he was like, well, it wasn't that window. It's actually this window. Like he knew that kind of stuff. So it definitely from him and then sort of, you know, growing up and just sort of, sort of finding my own feet and learning about history on my own is sort of but it's from him yeah from my dad I mean that's that's amazing I wish I could have been taken around by your dad to random <laughs> places in London yeah. but when did you first discover the wonderful Catherine Parr so really Catherine Parr well, I, I, I loved um, I love Anne Boleyn. I think Anne Boleyn is basically has a lot to answer for for bringing people into history. Um, but I think it was, you know, really through Anne Boleyn um, and then sort of going through the other the other queens sort of, you know, as you do. And there was just something about Catherine Parr that just I don't know. It was really odd. She just the more I read, the more I wanted to learn about her. And I found her incredibly fascinating. Um so, yeah, I think, yeah, it's Anne. Most of the things will come down to good old Anne Boleyn, I think. Woo, Anne Boleyn gets a mention. <laughs> yeah. that, I'll just go now because you've mentioned yes. Anne Boleyn, so I'm happy. <laughs> Bye. Bye, see you later. But um, why did you make a Instagram page dedicated to Catherine Parr? So... I really love the Anne Boleyn Society, which is run by James Peacock. He, like, I love his how much hard work he puts into and how we learn through him about Anne. Um, he's, as you can tell from the name, <laughs> it's a complete homage to 
the ambulance society and James Peacock, he's incredibly embracing to everybody and he supports everybody. But it's it's just I just wanted to do that same thing. I wanted to show the world sort of Catherine and just show how glamorous and how intelligent and just like there was so much more to her than this survivor. Um, the other thing was, it's a bit strange. There is one of the portraits of her. It's the Melton portrait. Um, she's quite young in it. She's wearing the orange. And I think she really looks like my niece. And <laughs> it sounds really weird, but she looks like my niece. And I just think that her face, you know, in, in her portrait, especially the Sotheby's one and that one, she really looks, I just recognise her. I know her. So I don't know if there's something, there's a weird connection there with me thinking I know her. I don't know. Um, but yeah, again, Anne Boleyn was a, the Anne Boleyn Society, you know, was a big, big, she, Anne Boleyn just, you know, she's such an amazing person and such a, uh, what an amazing woman in history. And I really think she brings people into history. So Yeah. Yeah, I can atone for that. She does. Atone, attached. Attached. We'll say attached. So yeah, absolutely. I I love your page, by the way. If no one follows this, I will leave the link down below so you can all follow it because I learned so much for your page about Catherine Parr. I'm really just trying. It's just something I do on the side, but I like, you know, as I'm as I'm posting, I'm learning too. I'm not a historian. It's I'm purely doing this because of just it's an escapism and I just I just do it for fun <laughs> so um I'm just really glad that people are enjoying it and I've got a lovely following and it makes it's like makes my hard work you know it makes it all sort of well and good so yeah oh no I'm really glad that you love doing it so much and you know you've had a decent following from it so Catherine's early life what do you think you could tell us about Catherine's early years so Catherine was born in 1512 and of course as always we don't know when she was born probably in August I'm telling you I'm going to make it my mission to find out I want to know what star sign she is um and she was probably born in Blackfriars I've actually been to so the location where her mother and father Maud and Thomas Parr were buried and it's St Anne's Parish um, it's amazing walking around that area of London. Honestly, it's just fascinating. So I think she probably was around that area. Um, she was the eldest of three children. She had her brother, William, who later became the Marquis of, Nor Marquis of Northampton, and Anne, who was then later the Countess of Pembroke. Um, am I right in thinking Anne Boleyn was the Countess of Pembroke? Um, or Marquis? Marquis? I think Anne Boleyn was Marquess. Marquess. I say Marquess, but... I don't know, like... Marquess. Potato, potato, you know? Yeah, whatever. I digress. <laughs> uh, so and they were actually really close their, like, whole life. Um, something that you'll learn later on, um, I'll probably mention it again, is when uh, Catherine was... When Henry set his sights on her, none of her family pushed her. So, unfortunately, her mum and dad weren't alive, but her brother and sister didn't push her to do it. They, like, no one... Like, it was such a terrifying thing to, for her to like have sort of pushed onto her, but so they, which is really nice. And I think it shows a really strong family. I think um, that's another, so there's lots of different sort of parts of Catherine that you'll sort of work out. And family is a very important part of Catherine. Um, her mother was Maud Green and she was a really, really fascinating woman. Um, I'm going to start doing a bit more research into her mum and dad, but Maud Green was 
just like I, every time I read about her, I'm like, wow. Um, so she was actually lady in waiting to Catherine of Aragon um, and apparently quite a good friend. So that is probably why Catherine is called Catherine. Um, she's so interesting. Um, I think she was supposedly a scholar of the uh, classical scholar of the classics. Um, so she was, you know, very smart. She ran all the affairs. Once Thomas Parr did pass away, she sort of took over. She never remarried once he died, which is very, very unusual. Um, she organized all the weddings and she like negotiated everything. So she's a super intelligent, quite a forward woman. I mean, I don't think she meant to be sort of a modern woman in our eyes, but she actually was. Um, so, you know, I think she's fascinating. Her dad was Sir Thomas Parr, and he was actually a descendant of um, Edward III. So the Parrs were quite um, a substantial Northern family. They had lots of knights in their family. Under Henry VIII, he became Master of the Ward, and he was appointed Master of the Guards and Controller of the King, which is pretty cool. So he was in, he was in, they were both in court. Um, so pretty cool kind of I mean it's all very weird when it as the story unfolds like how it's all really connected it's all so strange um, and they got married in 1508 um, so that's sort of the start of the past um, and then like I said really sadly in 1517 Thomas died um, and Moore didn't remarry which is really really very strange because um, she's got three kids you know, you think she would. And I think at this point in time, Catherine started taking on the responsibility of her brother and her sister. And I think that's something that you'll see throughout her life is sort of being quite responsible, apart from possibly when she's a little bit older, she may make some slight irresponsible decisions, but we're humans and it's what we do. We make mistakes and we learn from them. Um, but, you know, sort of, that sort of nurturing, caring side, she sort of, I think she took on for quite a young, a young age. And they moved, uh, once when he died, they moved and lived um, with her brother-in-law, William Parr, in Roy House in Hertfordshire, which is not far from where I am now. Oh. <laughs> Do you, have you visited Rye House at all? I haven't. I think there's only one part left. I think it's like the... It's really close to where I live and it's just the gatehouse, I think. Um, so it's like a, down a weird, it's really weird. It's like down a little side road and it's just there. So no, I haven't. I must go and do that. Um, one thing I have to say, which when I was doing um, my sort of learning of Catherine Parr, the Susan James book is amazing. And within it, it's sort of based about the uh, her education um, as you'll learn, Catherine was quite well educated, was very well educated, and she was actually super, super smart. Um, and Maud Parr, Maud based their education on what Thomas More set out for his own children. And Thomas More was one of the very few people who gave equal education to his daughters, always like an advocate for equal education, which I think is phenomenal. And then I was like, oh God, like how, where's the connection there? Like, Obviously, Thomas More was Thomas More, but apparently, so Thomas Parr was born at the same year as Thomas More, and they were related by marriage, and they served together in court. So, still, so I love, I love the connection. I love how she was very well connected, her family, um, and I think more sort of like the way that they were educated. Um, she really developed this like thirst for knowledge, and she she learned loads of languages. She was really fluent in Latin, Italian. 
Um, I think she was learning Spanish just before she died. Um, and, and there's a really, really, really amazing quote, which I just like, I think it's, I literally just think it's phenomenal. It's very, I think it sort of encapsulates Catherine quite well. Um, and it was, um, I'm going to read the quote. So it's, um, when she was made to do her womanly lessons and needlework, she said to her mother that a fortune teller had told her that her hands were ordained for scepters, not needles. I just like, you are predicting the future. You're smart, you're quick-witted, you're funny. I love her. I literally love her. She's fabulous. What a fabulous thing to say. <laughs> what an icon. <laughs> what a total icon. Um, and she was also brought up a Catholic, which, like uh, Anne Boleyn, was brought up a Catholic. And then she changed her religion to Protestantism. I can't say that. So there is a similarity. Is that right? Pro- Protestant. Oh, no, it was Anne Boleyn was a Protestant, right? It was a Catholic. Yeah, it's, it's a really weird one when it comes to Anne Boleyn. For the listeners, we are digressing again. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> um, everyone. Um, I think Anne Boleyn wanted reform in the church, but I don't think she was a full-on Lutheran like Catherine Parr. Yeah, that's what I've heard. But she was born a, when she was grew, grew up. She was a Catholic. Yeah, she was Catholic yeah. growing up. Yeah, because that's um, that's the other thing. Yeah, yeah, they kind of they weren't brought into this family, and also it was such if their parent if her parents are in court, like it's such a heresy to be Protestant. So, but yeah, no, I was just gonna say I, you know, you were talking about like Maud Green and I want to say Thomas Part. You said Thomas Part. Yeah, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I've not had a drink. I'm just don't know what day I'm on. <laughs> I've had a drink. Sorry, carry on. But you know, you've obviously Catherine Parr's clearly named after Catherine of Aragon, and she becomes the sixth wife of it. It's like, what the hell? So weird. And also the fact that there's two of them being divorced, two die in childbirth. Sorry, Sto- uh, spoiler alert there. Uh, uh, don't spoil it for the listeners. Yeah, they get beheaded. It's like they're all. It's so weird. I find it so odd. Very strange. Weird connections. Very strange. How weird would it have been if Henry VIII was at her um, christening? <laughs> Listen, I think worse things have happened. Oh. Oh, it might have, Catherine Howard basically just had a christening and then he married her. <laughs> She's just out of like nappies or something. <laughs> but we know Catherine was married a few times. Yeah. But her first marriage was to Edward Burr. Do you, we know anything yeah. about this marriage? So Edward, so she, her first marriage was Edward Burr and he was the grandson of Edward Burr, a second Baron Burr. That is a tongue twister. Um, and that was in 1529, and they moved to Gainsborough Hall, which is in Lincolnshire. You can actually still go see it. It's still there. Um, and his father was Sir Thomas Burr. And by all accounts, this is another sort of part of Catherine's life, is going to be sort of the men in her lives. Apparently, he was absolutely horrific. He was overbearing and he was really violent. He was a, hor- a horrible, horrible man. But she, 
she seemed to have navigated her, her way around him like he just he he wanted to full obedience by everyone um so again Catherine sort of she's very smart and she's obviously worked and sort of worked it out quite well and I mean I can imagine it oh, it must have been absolutely awful and horrible to live with this person um but she 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 obviously sort of worked it out and navigated herself and conducted herself in a way where things might not be too bad for her um but what is quite interesting is that he was a radical and he supported the divorce of Catherine of Aragon um so I think that this possibly sorry if you can hear the fireworks because some very rude neighbor has set off fireworks next door um so uh he was so he was a radical and he supported Henry VIII's divorce from Catherine, Catherine of Aragon and I think this was where Catherine learned about the new faith. So even though he was this awful person, you know, this could be potentially where things start happening. Um, and then it's apparently Maud eventually came up to visit her. So also I feel really sorry for her. She's all up in Lincolnshire, all her family are in, like in court or in the South. So she must have been so lonely up there. Um, but yeah, so Maud came and saw her and I think sort of sort of convinced them that they needed to leave this house. Um, and then they sort of they both set up a home. Uh, her and Edward left and set up a home together. And I think it was very nice for them. And I think Catherine really thrived. And I think she sort of took control of the house. And I think another sort of theme, she was really she was very clever and very smart and sort of could control things really well. Um, she had an understanding of how the house should be run, which I think is really amazing. So they set up shop um, and sort of got on with it. But so really sadly, <laughs> he was quite sickly, I think, Edward. Um, and he died in 1533. Um, apparently there was, so there's no record of a pregnancy with this. So sort of because of that, that was sort of, there was no connections anymore. So she kind of was left to her own devices. And we don't really know what happened. There's like not really much in sort of records of what happened to her after this. It's a bit of an empty like, space. Um, but it also in <clears throat> 1531, her mum died. So she's lost her mum. Her husband's died and she was very close to her. Um, her brother is living in Henry Fitzroy, who was the illegitimate son of Henry VIII's house. Um, and her sister was actually in uh, service of Anne Boleyn, which is really weird. So there was no home. There was nothing for her. There was nowhere for her to go to. So she's just kind of like away from stray and it's really sad. But it is most likely that she went to stay with her cousin, Sir Walter Strickland, his widow, uh, Lady Strickland, Catherine Neville, one of the Nevilles. And they stayed in Sizebury Castle in Kendall. So that's sort of where apparently that's where she is now. She's she's a widower. Her mum's gone. She's sort of, I feel really sorry for her. It must have been an incredibly like, lonely existence but I hope Lady Strickland was nice I feel like she sounds quite fun I don't know I don't know anything about her but perhaps I should do a bit of research yeah that could be another bit of research for you to do on the old on the old Instagram 
I'll take you all on my rabbit hole journey. I'm sure you'll love that. <laughs> I'd have hated to have been a widow in that time, especially at a young age. It would have been horrible. Yeah, I mean, there was no way. She was obviously like, she had to remarry as well. Like, yeah. she's not... So how sad. She, it's, I, I also feel like her story, she's just like constantly, it's her marriage, is, she had to always be married. And I'm just like, mm. oh, can't she just like have a, like five minutes on her own? Um. So yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we we know again that Catherine had to get married. You know, she had no. I want to say security. Yeah. You know, she wasn't safe. Yeah. And we know she was married to. We got she got married to Sir John Neville, another one of those pesky Nevilles that crop up <laughs> every now and then. I know. I love it. I love. I love the Nevilles. They are like they must be one of the most like notorious family in the land. They're everywhere. I love it. <laughs> they are. They are more. They are around more than Plantagenets. Oh really? I, well, I think they, they are. are. Yeah. They just seem to be like you're. Like, oh, hang on, that's a Neville. What the hell? Neville Longbottom. <laughs> what am I talking about? <laughs> I was gonna bring up Harry Potter, but I wasn't sure if it'd be funny. <laughs> Is it funny? Sorry. No, yeah, it was. It was. Thank you. <laughs> you thought you were thinking what I was thinking. Yeah, we're just connected. You and me, we're just one. <laughs> I'm the Amble inside and you're the Catherine Post. Like, coming together through Elizabeth the First. <laughs> and then we need Elizabeth. Yeah, we need Elizabeth. Yeah. So we know she marries John Neville, but do we know when she married him? So in 1534, Catherine um, married John Neville, um, Lord Latimer. So she's now Lady Latimer, which I think is really exciting. So um, and so, yes, he was her father's second cousin and Lady Strickland's kinsman. So they that's probably where they met. Um, He was considerably older than Catherine. He was 40. Um, But. And he spent most of his time up north. But I, I don't know. I've got a feeling that he was quite nice. I, mm. From my research and from my reading, he, uh, they really quite liked each other. Um, and I think that there was there was sort of, there was a bit of love between them. Maybe they weren't in love, but they mm. sort of had compassion for each other. He'd actually been married twice um, and widowed twice. And he had two children, um, Margaret and John, uh, Again, so this is sort of the start of another side of Catherine, which is sort of the stepmother, the maternal side to her. Um, she was very, very, very close to Margaret. Um, she, spoiler alert, when uh, Lord Latimer dies, she's given, she, um, Margaret is sort of in her ward. She's, she looks after Margaret and she takes her to court with her. <clears throat> she dies quite young. I think she died when she was 20, Margaret, which was really sad. Um, but she really, really, really loved her. And she was like, you know, they, you know, which is lovely. And it's such a lovely thing. Catherine's got this sort of, she really ha- is in, encompasses like love, um, I think. Sadly, the son, John, he was horrific. He was, a, he grew into a very, very, very violent man, very emotionally unstable. He was in prison for attempted rape and assault, and he even killed someone. So, you know, Poor Catherine. I mean, he must have been a bit of a horror when he was younger, but what the hell? Like, 
this kid was well he grew up to be a really awful person so he he was sort of part Lord Latin was part of the council that passed the reformation um which gave Henry the supreme the supreme head of England but he didn't really support it um and then obviously the north erupts I mean this is this is such a long-winded thing I don't I'm not I don't think I'm I, I don't think I'm the professional enough to be talking about it but Catherine was held hostage at Snape Castle um and they took Lord Latimer away but um so I can't imagine like they ransacked it I can't imagine what went on um we can only hope that they were sort of safe-ish it must have been absolutely terrifying like they literally came and took over you know took over the castle um and they basically wanted they wanted Latimer to return um they would ret- they would destroy everything in the castle probably including them so she managed to Catherine did manage to get a, a message down to Lord Latimer and he did return but I mean girl <laughs> So you think she just survived Henry VIII? She was held hostage, and it's <laughs> awful. I, I need to do a bit more research into it. Such a, it's it's it's. I feel like there's sections of Catherine's life that is like you need to really dedicate your time to it. But you know, obviously, it's really important to know that she was held hostage during this big pilgrim of the grace. So, but she got out of it again. She's pretty smart. She's a very smart woman. So whatever she did, or however she sort of conducted her way she she's she she was saved in the end so but they all lived together in snake castle and her and lord latimer were married for nine years so um i think they i think they really did like love each other um when his health did start to deteriorate in 1542 she sort of nursed him and she looked after him um which is i don't think she got on her knees and nursed him when people say because her dresses, it really annoys me when they're like, oh, she was on her knees bathing their feet. And it's like, no, she had like a massive dress on. She would just be nursing them. Um, but she really did love him. And when he died, she kept a remembrance of him um, in like with his name inscribed on it. And she kept it with him, with her for like the rest of her life. So I think they were very fond of each other. There was no children. Um, but like I said, she Lord Latimer trusted her enough to sort of he left her well provided. Like she he, she was left well provided. She wasn't rich. She was just well off. Mm. Really difficult to explain. She wasn't. She was just. She was. Ha- she was secure and happy. Mm. Um, and she had the guardian of Margaret. Um, so our Catherine was a widow again. <gasps> Catherine, <laughs> I feel so sorry for her. It must have been a bit of rubbish as well, yeah. <laughs> and I feel like she she should have really been able to pick her next husband. But oh no, us women, we don't get to choose what we want, do we? No, we do not. <laughs> do we know if Catherine went to court once John died? Do you know, what did she become a regular at court? So there's quite a lot of contrasting stories. Um, her two main biographers, Susan James and Linda Porter, kind of have very different ideas. Apparently the story is that she took up a role in uh, Lady Mary's household, so Mary the First household. Um, so she would have kind of been able to do that, do this with her sort of connections to court. Her mum was Catherine Aragon's 
um, lady in waiting. Uh, there's no really proof of wages. Um, so it's kind of debated. There's there's some payments for some clothing, but I'm gonna go with that she did. I mean, I'm just I'm just gonna go. I'm gonna go with that. That's my opinion. But you know, please look up. Please read up about it and make your own choice and sort of decide for yourself. Um, but yeah, so if she did, she took up residence within her household household in like February fifteen forty three. It was a very attractive place to work. I think. Um, so yeah, so that would have been her coming back to court. So she was also four years older than Mary, but they got on really well. It has been said that people say that in the past that when she was younger, she might have grown up with Mary, but that's just, I just don't think that's true yeah. at all. Um, um, so that was probably where oh, Henry caught glimpses of this beautiful <laughs> young lady. Lucky girl. Um, but like when Catherine did marry Henry, the relationship with Mary sort of did always stay good, and she never really became a stepmother. She was more like a friend, which I think is yeah. really nice. Yeah. Um, but this will be when she caught the attention of Henry, uh, and I... he would have probably been like, I think he started showering her with quite lavish gifts, turning up, but like, oh, sorry, just happened to be here. Um, but as I said earlier, like, you know, when it was became quite apparent that Henry was setting his sights on her, her family didn't push her. Um, she, she tried to refuse sort of, but you can't really. And I think she did, she did truly believe that God wanted her to be queen. So I kind of call her slightly the reluctant queen. Um, but you know, he, he, he wanted her, he had her, he got her stomped his foot said I want that but at the same time so a, a, another event that's happening is a very very young handsome and reckless man returned to court in the winter of 1542 and he was the brother of the late queen Jane Seymour and his name was Thomas Seymour keep a pin in that name because he is quite an important part to the story <laughs> he's that guy <laughs> oh, oh <dear>. <laughs> Catherine <laughs> I mean I honestly I love the descriptions in Susan Jane's book I mean he was an absolute I mean you look at his drawings by Hans Holbein he was just a total babe he was absolutely every woman was like I'm in love with him so I like as well he has a big feather like you know I don't I, I don't think any of us would resist him Robbie my husband probably wouldn't have either <laughs> So on the 12th of July, 1543, um, they they got married. This would be Henry's final marriage and her third marriage. Um, and it was taken, it took place in um, a really small, it was a really small uh, ceremony in the clean, Queen's Closet and she was 30. Um, and something that I found a bit haunting was that the guests included Lady Mary and Lady Elizabeth but also the predecessors' families. So Anne Boleyn's family, Catherine Howard's fam family, and Jane Seymour's family. And the room is in Hampton Court, and it's literally next to the Haunted Gallery where Catherine Howard would have been dragged along, screaming and shouting, and then ended up in the block. And I just think, I can't imagine 
I can't imagine like what she felt like and how like she's looking into the eyes of this man, this big, disgusting, overweight, red faced, smelly, gouty man looking at the face of this man that basically bumped off three of uh, two of his wives. One of them has died. He's divorced him. Like, I mean, she I give her a lot of a lot of respect for sort of going through with it um, and not being absolutely terrified. Um, but just and and also Catherine Howard died like a year before like it's really not that long oh I, I just oh you could probably feel the energy of that face and oh no 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 it, it is one of those isn't it? it's like obviously you feel for any of them getting married to him but by the time it is Catherine Pye you're like there's so many ghosts she's kind of walking past yeah, obviously, like Catherine Howard literally died a year ago. Yeah. Oh, and she was screaming down that corridor, and then there's Catherine, and then like just looking at this man, and I just like he, he like I I just know I I I want something like one thing that should if people take something from Catherine is, you know, this was a really quite scary prospect and. You know, he he was a tyrant and he was old and he and he was gross. But like, I just don't think we can. I don't think we comprehend like, sort of. I I don't think we can comprehend how she felt. Like, it must have been terrifying. Um. So I have a lot of respect for her. Um. But yeah, and, and like having like their family there looking at them, like, oh no, Catherine, I'll save you. <laughs> They're probably all standing there like. This is actually another wedding we're going to. Play. <laughs> oh, can I just re- can I just recycle my present? As soon as they got married, she was queen, so she was straight away queen. Which I think our Catherine is queen. We are happy. She's got there, and you know that's that was pretty cool. I mean, amazing. Like obviously, we we know she didn't get have a coronation, but she was queen, so it's just kind of whatever. Yeah, I'm rule. I'm in charge now. <laughs> um, but I, you know, by all accounts, she went down really well as a queen. I think she, she really thrived in that, that sort of in that world. I think she was very smart. I think she was a really good choice for queen. She knew how to sort of, she she just she could hold herself, and she had a really good, she had an air of grace. And I think she was. I think she, yeah, she was. They. They liked her. No, yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think because Catherine Parr kind of wasn't at court for so much of his reign, it was kind of a lot of people neutral of her at the beginning. You know, yeah. there wasn't really anything you could say that was discriminating. <laughs> no, I mean, by like the so the foreign so foreign ambassadors came and they and they commented on her and how gracious she was and she loved entertaining. She was. You know, I think Henry felt very safe to have her sort of talking to these ambassadors. Like she knew how to hold court. She was smart. She was clever. She was beautiful. She she dressed so well. So, she, you know, to show off this court and to show the wealth of the country. She, you know, she was, you know, she is the queen. She is England. Um, so she really thrived doing that. They particularly liked the way that she um, looked after Mary, which is really nice. So, you know, top, top points there. Um, but she, you know, 
where she this is where she really starts to shine she loved clothes she loved jewelry she just had like look at like if you look at her paintings her clothes are unreal I want to wear her clothes I want to wear her wardrobe I want to be her best friend <laughs> she just was she, I love it I think she's so I think we can all sort of we she just like I just love that she loved she loved music um and she loved dancing and she was a patron of the arts like I feel like I would have got really well with her and I feel like she would have lent me some clothes and we'd have gone to the party you know? um, she, like the other thing about her so she took real care for herself and her parents she um I did a post about milk baths she took milk baths which I just think is so amazing like Cleopatra had milk baths yeah. so it's so good for your skin like yeah she was a real she was really a real bougie woman um and she had and one of one thing that Susan James said that she had breath mints I think that is just so I don't know maybe I'm just odd but I think that's an incredible I just think it's so cool she had breath mints <laughs> Um, she also had lots of like sweet smelling perfumes and herbs and there's like two ways you can look at it it's either that she used it to allure Hen uh, Henry VIII or to get the to block the smell of his smelly diseased leg so you know <laughs> everyone's a winner there um, but I think I think Henry I think Henry really really did like love her and I think he really doted on her um he called her Kate, which I think is really quite sweet. And I think he had very, yeah, very strong feelings for her. And and my sort of, my take on it as well is that he picked her. Um, like think of the other wives. So Catherine of Aragon and Anacles were for allegiances. Um, the others were pushed by their precious family. So Anne Boleyn, Jane Seymour and Catherine Howard. And, and Kate, Ka Kate, Catherine Parr, he picked her. He chose her. No, yeah. one, no one put her in front of him she he she was chosen and I think I think that's says a lot about her um she was different in that way and I yeah I think she she was just a pretty she was just cool and she was dirt she was our she's my age she's 30 and like I don't know I just I really like her I, I find her just yeah yeah no absolutely I completely agree with you it's, she was by all accounts a very good queen yeah you know, she wasn't disliked except from Stephen Gardner, which we will get on to. And oh yeah. yeah. The other thing about her, which I really I have to touch on, is about her being a stepmother. And it's mm. again, as I've mentioned before, she was really good, a really amazing stepmom. Like she she like with Elizabeth and Edward, like she and with Margaret, she genuinely had such a maternal and nurturing side. Um and she you know, there's lots of different ways you can put it, but she did, she did help put Mary and Elizabeth back into the line of succession. So she was a huge part of that. She got their portraits painted and things like that. Um, she and the the thing about Elizabeth, which is why I'm so connected with Anne Boleyn and Catherine Parr. I think there's a real connection with them both. Mm. Is Elizabeth? She was. She influenced Elizabeth more than anyone else in her life, and she she nurtured her, and she, and the nurturing and the love helped cultivate one of the most impressive intellects the crown has ever seen. Like the the way she handled her education, um, I just think it's something that shouldn't be sort of dismissed. I think is a really important thing. I think 
Elizabeth, she genuinely loved Elizabeth so much and we're not going to go into it, but the thing with Thomas Seymour, like that, I mean, the fact that the heart-wrenching time when she had to have her removed from her to, from her household to protect her, I think was possibly one of the worst times of her life. Um, she really loved Elizabeth. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, so that, that I had to put that in. I think it's just such no, a... Yeah important part of it yeah I think obviously we know she was caring but she did love who she was a stepmother to she did you know she looked after yeah. I mean Mary Edward and Elizabeth they didn't really have a family they they were siblings but Henry VIII wasn't there for them you know yeah. I think Anna Cleves tried to be a bit of a stepmother to yeah. she tried I do really like Anna and I know Jane Seymour was really great with Mary. Catherine was just, I think it's just really important. Like she taught her some really valuable lessons to Elizabeth. And I think that, that you know, I just, I think she was really, really, I think she really, she just really loved them. And I, she was not, she was so much more than what people say. And I think one of the things is being a really loving stepmother. Yeah, no, I absolutely, like, obviously we go, oh, yeah, she was a stepmother, nurse, etc. But, like, I think she thrived being a stepmother. Obviously, she didn't have any children of her own by that point, so. I mean, honestly, it's gut-wrenching. It's heartbreaking that the chance she had was taken away. Like, it's just ter it's just terrible. Um, no, it really is. So, obviously, you know, she's married him. We know she's a good queen. But... Do we know, like, was she a patron of anything? You know, was she? Yes, yeah, so she was patron of the arts. Um, and she also employed three female miniature artists. I did a whole post about them, um, which was amazing. So they did the miniature portraits. I can't remember their names off the top of my head. Um, but if you look at my posts, they're all on there. But yeah, so she was the arts. Again, like, I love the, I like art. I love the arts. Um, but yeah, one thing I did learn, I can't remember where I read it. I'm pretty sure she made sure that Elizabeth and Mary and Edward had their port, Elizabeth and Mary had their portraits painting when they were like, I think that red portrait of Elizabeth might be one that Catherine ensured to have painted because they weren't, they didn't have any, there's no paintings of them when they were younger because they were banished, basically. I know. Ugh. I know. <laughs> Stop it, man. <laughs> but so, moving a little bit onwards, they've been married for a few years and he decides to have another war with France. Of course he does. <laughs> he got a bit bored. But Catherine was awarded Regent of England, which was amazing for her. Yeah. She didn't have a husband in the country. Yeah, she do what she wants. Um, yeah, she was. She, yeah, she was regent. She was made regent between July and September fifteen forty four. But I think it's really important to say um, Henry was coming back. I don't think he would have. I, you'll see that later on. I think he <laughs> he knew he was coming back. I don't think he ever would have left a, a woman in charge. Um, but she signed four proclamations and it was a really big honour. The only other person that had done this before was Catherine of Aragon. I think that's a pretty, pretty great character to put her to follow. Um, 
So anyone that doesn't know what pro pro I can't say the word proclamation is, it's an official declaration issued by a person of authority to make certain announcements known. I think what's really important to add on to this, um, that while Catherine was regent, she gained confidence in her powers and she was, I think Mary and Elizabeth had the opportunity to observe a kingdom in a under a queen's charge obviously to some extent um and i and i really hope that this is something that would be sort of they would take on with them when they were on the throne um and given a chance to rule um so i i, I let let's hope that catherine's ruling helped to great queens and it's also another important fact is that she was um so she had a council and she would have been sort of exercising her sovereign authority and she was with Thomas Cramner, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury and he was a leader in the English Reformation. So I think she would have been privy to some really interesting documents. Um, so, you know, she is has been sort of, she's seen, she she's learned about reforma the, ref the, the reformist ideas, but I think things are sort of growing and bubbling. And uh, yeah, so I think this, uh, Thomas Cramner was a huge part of that, obviously. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I quite like Thomas Cramner, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can't decide whether I like him or not, but he, he doesn't seem dreadful. You, no. You know. Oh, God, no. Get in the bin. <laughs> Can you imagine when these like serious historians hear me shouting this stuff? <laughs> no, honestly, I, I need to find a professional persona because I'm honestly like, no, go away, go on. <laughs> uh, you know, well, you know what's about. Like, I talking back to the pod podcast. Go back to the podcast, I think. Podcast. Like, I think it's quite easy for Catherine to have turned against the Catholic faith. Obviously, like, she probably like had a bit of resentment towards them after the pilgrimage of grace. You know, it was probably a bit like. So yeah. she, I think she was less of Catholic. She, you know, she might have had less faith in them, but I think definitely once Henry VIII went to France, I think Thomas Cranmer kind of was like swooped in there and was like, right, this is it. This is my second yeah. Berlin. Like, <laughs> Yeah, this is true. Very true. I mean, I also think that it's really important to note that, like, there's so many important things to note that I keep saying, but Henry did make people feel invincible, like, Look at Anne Boleyn, look at Thomas Cromwell, look at, I mean, so many people through history that he has made favourite and then they've just, it's gone away. I mean, we would all do it. I mean, unfortunately, Catherine, she did, she did sort of going that way. She sort of, she, things, she started, things started going to her head a bit, not to her head, but she was, I, I kind of say, and I think it's a bit mean, she was a bit narrow minded. Um, at sometimes um, with sort of her discussions um, but she was on a spiritual journey she was you know she was she was evolving her faith is evolving her, her radical and like through that her radical beliefs came to light and she started discussing them with Henry I mean it is literally to be a Protestant is a form of heresy and it's punishable by death. And she's going straight to the man. Kate, Catherine, girl, just don't. Just, I mean, oh, 
I mean, yeah, I mean, I think she didn't, I wouldn't say cocky, I don't think that's the word, but I think she definitely believed. Fair minded, she just didn't yeah. think. I think, and I think Henry did that to people. I think he made you feel like you could say what you want, but I think, like, no. I, I mean, I think she believed she could change him as well. I think she really believed, which is fair enough to her, because, like, why not? Yeah. I think she did for a few minutes forget who the hell she was married to. Yeah. <laughs> and I also believe, like, so obviously um, Henry changed, well, he became Protestant. I don't think he ever did. I think he was a Catholic, like, yeah. through. Yeah. Was it that when he died, he said something about being a Catholic? He wanted to something yeah I, I think like yeah he it was the church of england except it was the catholic church of england in his eyes yeah so he yeah he was through and through a catholic um yeah so in see so she started talking to henry and you know and she interpreted his she interprets his engagement in these conversations um, incorrectly. Um, and in January 1546, he'd become really tired and he thought she was lecturing him. And there's this quote that she he said to Gardner um, and, it, and it goes, uh, a good hearing it is when women become such clerks and a thing much to my comfort to come in mine old days to be taught by my wife. Now, listen, Henry. Your wife could teach you one or two things, but like he's getting really annoyed. She's obviously like really going on and he's in pain and he just is like, stop telling me what to do. Like, think about what he said to Jane Seymour. Like, yeah. he was, and then that's it. Gardner, that's it. That's what we needed. Like, they didn't like Catherine. They, they, you know, they started to dislike her. So that's all you, all they needed. And it was, and then, you know, he was like, right, we're, we're getting rid of, this revolutionary person she was revolutionary yeah um so i think i mean this time in Catherine life i think was in like she really 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 came close to the end here like i think yeah. hair widths away i've said um <laughs> but then so these rumors started like the rumors of the tudor court but you know these rumors slowly started blow, 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 um sort of blossoming shall we say and I think Catherine just brushed it off. I think in her narrow-mindedness, she was like, no, what? No, of course not. But then come April, she, you know, she was getting really scared because people from her inner circle were being brought in to be questioned. Um, you did, the, Anne Askew was, so Anne Askew was a really outspoken spoken heretic. I don't know enough about her to sort of go into her, but she was questioned um, and she was, sentenced to death um she they were asking her like who basically they wanted to get to Catherine and they were sort of asking who part of the court was sort of had these books and these writings and these thoughts and stuff um and she didn't give anything away she was like the first and only woman in England to be racked um, and she was racked so badly that she couldn't walk I can't it's just disgusting it's so awful and then she was sentenced to be burnt at the stake. And I believe, I can't remember who it was, but they gave her gunpowder. So she didn't oh. burn to death. Thank but you. She didn't give that. anything away. I don't know if Anne Askew ever met Catherine Parr. I don't, I don't know anything to do with that. Um, but 
then so all of this is going on like oh there's that new film coming out firebrand i can't wait for it to come out oh no i'm so excited but then by october gardner horrible little gardener he presented some unknown evidence to henry I want to know what it is. I don't know how we can... I, I mean, I'm going to have to do some more research and I'll come back to you. But I don't know what this... <laughs> no evidence. It's probably a piece of paper. We're like, I don't like her. Um, but the issue... Uh, that He issued a warrant for her arrest. So she was... She was on her way to... Honestly, she was on her way to be the same as Anne Boleyn and Catherine Howard. But luckily, what she had... There's a couple of things that happened. So she... So Henry talked about this plot to their physician, Dr. Wendy, who also happened to be Catherine Parr's physician um, and swore him to secrecy. But he 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 did part the, the, the doctor did pass this information over. Um, another thing that happened was um, some papers which were against Catherine and sort of I, I don't know if it was a restaurant, but they were sort of dropped where a member of Catherine's household found them and passed them to her. And then Catherine was like, you can bleed me out, I'm about to die. Um, so <laughs> he like, so she, she, she was really lucky because she, because of her predecessors and because like her sister was in the court, like she was ambulant, like with all the Queens, her sister, her sister was in the ladies in waiting to all the Queens. She knew, what she needed to do and unlike any any of the other ones she managed to see uh, Henry and she, that is something that Catherine Howard and Anne Boleyn did do they and he never they never saw him again so so I mean thank goodness she did this she got in to see him and then he so she was pleading his her innocence and then there was he he kind of tried to get her to start talking about this sort of um he tried to like steer her on a path and then she was like oh no 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 I'm just a woman like no I don't know the answer to that um and and then and she basically did this amazing speech that saved her life and it was basically just like I was only doing it to distract you from your leg and I'm just a silly woman I mean well done Catherine I mean she was not a silly woman she was like she was so smart she got her way out of that um and then but you know and henry was like oh okay we're friends again la 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 and then uh, the next day they were in the sort of the gardens and he forgot to cancel the arrest warrant they came to arrest her <laughs> and apparently he was like be away with you your knave and sort of sent them on their way but oh you think he'd remember that um, so that was a very, very scary time. And I think from that point on, Catherine was like, yeah, I'm going to shut up. I'm not, not going to, you know, she can have your thoughts and your feelings, but just let's not, let's not play this game again. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, I think she definitely was like, yeah, no, I'm all right. I'll just yeah. sit here and just yeah. look pretty kind of thing. Yeah. So uh, that was a very scary time, but she, she got herself out. So well done. Well done, Catherine. I think and one amazing thing about Catherine being queen is the fact she published books in her own right. Yes. I don't know if I'm right, but maybe first one of the first women to publish books in her own right. 
She was the first uh, first English queen to publish under her name. Um, there was, I think there has been obviously female yeah. writers, but um, she published three books. Two of them were under her name. One of them was anonymous. Um, and so they were Palms and Prayers, Prayers or Meditations and Lamentation of a Sinner. I haven't read these books and it's such a bad thing. I do have the most amazing book by Janelle Muller, which is The Complete Works of Catherine Barr. And they are in here and I do need to read them, which is such a sin that I have. I'm, I'm, I, am, I am a sinner. I, I have Lamentations of Sinning by not reading them. Um, but they were, they were sort of, I think the, what, what I, the research I've done on them, the Lamentations of the Sinner, it's like really, it's quite an incredible piece of writing. And it was written from first person and it's it's kind of recounting Catherine and her experiences and her journey towards her faith mm. um, and her confidence in it. Um, and it's just a really powerful piece of writing. So I, I need to read them. Um, I, 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 yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, that's, that in itself is, uh, is an amazing thing. She, she wrote books and these, yeah. she was so smart. And I've, I've, I know we don't, again, I know I'm going to say it, I know we don't like Henry, but, <laughs> you know, he let her do this. He read them, so he knew what she was up to. As most people probably know, Henry VIII died in January 1547 leaving Catherine a widow again. <laughs> oh, Catherine! This time, though, she was a queen when she was widowed. She was. She probably knew that Henry was dying. Um, I think Christmas, the last month of 1546, she did spend some time with him, but then the Christmas they parted, so she didn't spend Christmas with him. She was with Mary at Greenwich and he was at Hampton Court um I think may have given a clue that he was on the way out and then obviously he died in January um so and so she didn't she didn't get to see him um but she did definitely think that she was going to be named regent um I find the thing around Henry's will all a bit weird I don't know if it was because they they kind of locked, no one knew that Henry had died for three days. It wasn't signed, it was stamped. So, but she did think she was going to be named regent and look sort of look after Edward. Um, but I, the other thing is, I don't think Ed, um, Henry would have ever, ever let a woman be in charge, ever. There was just, just, just not going to happen. So as much as I can say, oh, maybe he did and his will was changed. There's no way. He would never have done it, like ever. But well, he left he her. Those he considered it, and then no, it won't work. Well, I think when he was going to France, he knew he was going to come back. Yeah, well, I mean, imagine. But he, I just, and I also think her behaviour and her religious reformist ideas probably didn't lean in her favour. Um, but, you know, he left her really well, lots of nice houses, lots of money and her jewels. And she was, there was a rule that she was to be treated as queen for the rest of her life. And she retired to Chelsea accompanied and she had a ward of Elizabeth, which is so annoying in becoming Elizabeth. 
I have some real gripes about that TV show. You just don't get, I love Jessica Rayna, but I don't think she played her very well. And she she came across as really like manipulative and like using ambitious, ambitious by using Elizabeth. And I don't think that was right. She she was she loved Elizabeth, so she she had Elizabeth with her. Um and she began her period of mourning. But did she? Was she mourning? Or was she secretly planning <laughs> a final marriage? So, do you remember that bloke Thomas Seymour I mentioned? Oh him. Remember him. That guy. That guy. <laughs> So she was already receiving uh, his attention, but also she, oh, we'll go into it, but she just wanted to marry him. <laughs> he was young and he was handsome and, you know, she was, she had a great time. She was treated, she was treated well in certain areas by him, I think. And four months later, she married him. I mean, that, Ooh. I feel like she was just like, I can't be bothered. I've had such, I've had so much turmoil in my life. I just want to marry him. But like Mary was very angry. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, so Thomas Seymour. Oh. I mean, obviously we know, you know, she's married again for the fourth time. And by all looks, it, you know, it, it was for love, you know. I think, yeah. you know, she was clearly done with formality, you know. Yeah. She's she's done her duty, you know. She married the king. Yeah. So why can't she marry for love? But and I, she also wanted to marry Thomas before she married Henry. So she yeah. gave up happiness for Henry. Like she she had there's an amazing miniature. Oh, it's such a great little miniature of of, of Thomas Seymour. It's such a, like he yeah he's <laughs> he's pretty dishy in it, and it was. Uh, painted for her so she, she yeah she waited a long time and she really wanted to marry him but it really shocked the court it was a really like you know when I said earlier like you know she made some some interesting choices later on this was definitely one of them and also because Henry had just died um you know she could have been pregnant I mean it's very very unlikely um, so if she'd married, but if she was pregnant with Henry's baby, like that would have just absolutely that like the success. Oh my God, the spanner in the works that would have caused. So it wouldn't oh, have yeah, been. It would, it would have been like, oh my God, <laughs> who's the father? They'd be on Jerry Springer. <laughs> the father is. Let me get my notes up. That's <laughs> like, yeah. Well, let's see the calendar here. Yeah. She made a choice. But I, I, she definitely, I don't think there was any way if she was getting pregnant with Henry. The, sorry, I was just a bit sick there. <laughs> I had to say his name for like the tenth time in this chat. Oh, God, I feel like I'm summoning him from the grave. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> just to like double check, like, you know, throw salt over you. Like, <laughs> no. Um, but it's, I think, so how it was done, Seymour, very ambitious, very manipulative. He hated, so his brother Edward was the law protector. And, and I mean, Thomas hated that. It, he was jealous. But he basically, they got married, but then he kind of made it that Edward, so that Edward was now the king. Mm. Um, Edward VI, it, it, that, it was his idea that they got married. Uh, but Edward saw through this and like it didn't, it just, yeah, it was not 
a good thing. He, you can see him being very manipulative, um, but L Lady Elizabeth lived with them. And then he also had the ward of Lady Jane Grey, which I think is amazing, um, and promised a marriage between Lady Jane Grey and Edward VI. So, you know, this is the full house. Um, yes. Obviously, we have said we're not going to touch on Elizabeth and Thomas Seymour purely because for the listeners, it is such a big rabbit hole that it would literally be another podcast. It's yeah, it's a really tough. It's 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 emotionally tough to go through, but it's really hard to. I get such backlash. I've had such backlash talking about it and I find it like quite overwhelming. And it's like, there's a whole, I will do a podcast with you. We can we can sit and we can dissect it together. Yes. Um, I just, I, 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 it takes away from Catherine and this is, it's not Catherine's fault. This is Thomas Seymour. It's him. Yes. It's, it's nothing to do with her. And I think it deters from her. So it, it's more Elizabeth and Thomas. So I just don't want to. <laughs> Not tonight. Another time. Not tonight. I think we can agree, though, Catherine probably felt rubbish whatever had happened, you know. I mean, so she's pregnant. She was pregnant. She was having a really difficult pregnancy. Like, you know, she's older. She was, you know, scared. So she got pregnant in December 1547. She had terrible morning sickness. She was worrying about the birth. And then on top of that, this stuff going on, like, you just can't, like, this poor woman, it's like, she. I think childbirth in general for women during that time, it was such a scary prospect. And I think this on top of everything, like, you, you know, she just, she needed to relax and it was just, I, I just, I feel so sorry for her. And I just, it was meant to be a really happy time in her life and it just, I just think, yeah, I just think childbirth in general was, oh God. it's like your death. People didn't get through it very well. Um, <coughs> but at that point, so then Thomas Seymour was refurbishing the beautiful Sudley Castle. Um, so that's where he sort of, he took them away from court. Um, at this point, Elizabeth wasn't with them um, and they moved with Jane uh, in June 1548 to Sudley Castle. Honestly, when you go around it, it's the the beautiful honey-coloured walls and the flowers, and it would have just been such a beautiful place to go after, you know, there's all these rumours at court about Elizabeth. Like, it was just not a great time. And I think when you... you one thing that you must go to Sudley Castle, listeners, go to Sudley Castle if you haven't, like, it's such a beautiful place and you can see that she you know that's it, really sadly it's where she spent the last time of her life and it was a you know beautiful place to be um and she was with Jane and Jane Grey and her like I love the story I love Jane Grey I think her story with being with Catherine is sort of wonderful and they would have been side by side and reading and walking in the grounds um it would have been lovely um, and then on the 30th of August, 1548, Catherine gave birth to a little girl, which I think at first people were a bit disappointed, but 
then sort of it was more the fact that she got through the birth and she named her Mary, which was definitely a compliment to her ch the child's stepsister, uh, Mary, Lady Mary, and she was named Godmother. Um, and they, you know, at that point, Thomas sent loads of letters um, to London and, you know, to her brother, to his brother Edward and to Mary, and, and it so sort of reconciled the family a bit after everything. But, you know, obviously, I, I don't know much about the birth. I think it was, it went well. I am pretty sure, you know, we don't really know how Catherine felt after the birth, but I can only imagine elation. Um, but, you know, so sad. It's just so sad that, you know, by the 3rd of September, she was really sick. Um, she was gravely ill. Uh, it's just so sad. When you go to... Absolutely. I, I felt I just got this really overwhelming emotion when I went in to see her. I got generally really upset. And I, I don't know if there was like an air of, I don't know, maybe I'm just an emotional person, but it generally just is so sad. And she, there's these, all these records about how she just, she was just hallucinating and losing her mind. And it's just, so childbirth, childbed fever is like, honestly, it just sounds like the most horrific thing, like just slowly deteriorating. And this formidable woman, this woman who lived, like, look at what she did with her life. Look at everything she, you know, all the things she went through. Um, she, you know, this this is what sort of what happened. Um, you know, she she went through charges of heresy and she was nearly executed four husbands, civil insurrection and mob violence, and she fought, survived Henry VIII. And then this thing, this horrible disease got her. And then she died really sadly um, at around two or three in the morning. Oh, I was getting really emotional. So she died on the Wednesday the 5th of September around two or three a.m. Um, and, you know, so when I've posted about this before, people kind of, they they're very like it's very I think it's really hard for us to comprehend Tudor times and you know it was her most likely her her, her physician just not with the cleanest hands um, and just general lack of hygiene that would have but like they no one tried to kill her like she wasn't it was just it was just the way it was um, and it's just an infection um, so and, you know it killed Jane Seymour and it also killed Henry's mother um, Elizabeth of York and she didn't have you know we didn't have access to antibiotics and no. you know it just you can't imagine like when you read what she was saying it's honestly heartbreaking it makes me cry it's terrible and she um she was buried in she is buried in the St Mary's Church which is on in the Sudley so you can go and visit her um, and she had the first ever Protestant funeral in England and Lady Jane Grey was her chief mourner. And that really sadly is the, like within three days, this woman was gone. So, oh, Catherine! Why? <laughs> I know. I mean, you clearly love Catherine a lot, you know. <laughs> Do you think? <laughs> you know, you, you were tearing up there, like obviously listeners will not be able to see you tearing up but I can see you tearing up and I can relate to that especially when it comes to Anne Boleyn it's like nah she wasn't executed it's, it's just it's all right it's fine 
like you know they all lost bait like the sort of like trigger warning miscarriages and sort of what these women went through it's like I just and to bring life into the world it's like I have so much respect for these women like oh god can you imagine like oh and you just wouldn't know what was gonna go on and uh, yeah no so so yeah that is Catherine Parr before we end the podcast and I let you enjoy the rest of your evening (laughs) no I really like talking about her I don't want to (laughs) go we are going to like discuss our Tudor pet peeves oh right let's go (laughs) how long you got (laughs) I want to know what your pet peeves are I've been speaking solidly for like 5,000 years what's your (laughs) what is your biggest Tudor pet peeve I don't know if it's classed as a Tudor pet peeve but have you watched the Showtime show the Tudors I I only watched the Catherine Parr bit, but you know, I no, sort of. Well, yeah, kind of, sort of. So I watched this when I was like 14, whatever. And I really hate it when people on Instagram or TikTok watch the Tudors and then go, <laughs> there we are, an expert. You know I'm going with this. And they go, excuse me, on a Showtime TV show, The Tudors. Um, it's like, you're, no, you you're... Dad shagged his niece, you know? It's like, no, that's not real. It's called historical. <laughs> and it's just like, okay, I'm not a historian as well, but I don't rely on a TV show, but okay. Oh my god, I've I've kind of had to learn. I am so with you. It is it can be so infuriating and like I'm sure like many historians will be like, yeah, it is really annoying, but it is just one of the biggest pet peeves. Um I don't I you're the same. I'm with you on your pet peeve. Like that's my worst. That's my worst. I just I don't get it. Like obviously we are, all have different things. Like I, I mean there's so many I've got when it comes to Amberlynn, it's like Please don't say you're an expert after watching a TV show on it. Like, please stop. This is the other thing. So when I mentioned before the becoming Elizabeth, like I thought Thomas Seymour and Tom Cullen. (laughs) Thomas Tom Cullen as Thomas Seymour was fantastic. I thought he was so good. And I love Jessica Rain. I love her, but I think she was too, she wasn't, she didn't, she played Anne Stanhope before in Wolf Hall, which I thought was amazing, but she played the same character. And I think I, 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 I want pet, Tudor pet peeves. I want people that are playing these characters to do real research, like real research. I, I heard an, this is why I'm so worried about Firebrand coming out. I listened to an interview uh, with Alicia Vikander, who's playing Catherine Parr. I mean, apparently Jude Law is amazing as Henry VIII, but he's such an easy character to play. Well, but Catherine, it's all inside, it's all internal. And like, she kind of was like, when she did this interview, she hadn't really learned about Catherine. And I was like, learn about her. So I think that's my other thing. No, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I think as well, because obviously, I think we develop an attachment to them as well. You know, these are real people. Like, you know, you were getting upset about Catherine Parr towards the end of her life. And well, probably think, years ago, and it's making me cry. And and some people just, you know, it's like, yeah, it's an acting role, whatever. It's like, 
But some people really take this to heart. Yeah. Some people dedicate their spare time, you and me, to teaching other people about these people and defending them when silly little people come along and start saying nonsense. I'm literally defending a woman that died 500 years ago, and I love it. Um, but yeah, that's my pet peeve, I guess. I think that's a really good pet peeve, because <laughs> I will add that to the list of my pet peeves, because I didn't even realise about actors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I'll also ask, have you got a favourite either historical fiction or non-fiction book on Catherine? So I'm going to tell you, so the books that I have used to sort of do my research, um, my favourite, and I think it's the Susan James biography, Henry VIII's last log, or Catherine Parr, Henry VIII's last log, love, sorry. I think it's so beautifully written. Um, I really like Susan James. If you've ever listened to her on a podcast, she she's really like got a really nice sort of temperament and she talks really well and I genuinely this book is so good for referencing um so this book would be that um I've read the Elizabeth Norton Catherine Parr and then there's uh Linda Porters as well but my favorite is Susan James and then for all those my husband bought me this amazing book it's you can't see but it's humongous and it's the complete works of Catherine Parr and it has absolutely everything in there it has all her correspondence it has like her will it has letters it has like Catherine is on every page in this book um and it's, it's you know it's her complete work so this is another one I mean it's a lot bigger it's quite expensive it's like those are my the, those are my toys but the other the other one that I would suggest which I've just read is The Palace by Gareth Russell is so good it's it's not really like Catherine Parr but she got it's if you want to learn about Hampton Court you've got to read it it's oh. even the intro of it is fantastic like oh I love the intro it's amazing I love it and then the other one oh yes <laughs> one more the Nicola Tallis book that I mentioned oh. all the Queen's Jewels a sort of reference book and you can see she's got all the uh you can see all the different jewels and what people had. It's just, it's a really good reference book. So, but there's so many amazing books, but uh, the Susan James, Catherine Parr, Henry VIII's Last Love is the best Catherine Parr one, in my opinion. So I need to add them to my list. I've got yes. two of them. I've got the Elizabeth Norton and Nicola Tallis's one. I haven't got Linda Porter's one either, but I need to expand on each wife. Yeah, like I have an embarrassing amount of books on Anne Boleyn. That's fine. That's your niche, and it's like now you look at her. Oh look, look! I thought you'd like this. I've got my bee necklace on. I've got my hand put <laughs> for the for the listeners. I have got a hand painted portrait of Anne Boleyn by my nana. <laughs> she make it. It's beautiful. Oh nana. And I, thank you, Eileen. <laughs> Thanks, Eileen. But I've got oh. 10 books just on Anne Boleyn and I literally said to myself like I think it was March I was like you know what I need to start expanding like on the other wives like I knew enough about them but it's just like yeah some people might think I like Anne Boleyn if I'm not careful you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, just, it's, it's, it's getting there so before I let you go 
but we'll talk more about Catherine Park Private. It's fine. It's fine. I'm not going to say. <laughs> Have you got a favourite fact about Catherine Park? I've got two. I'm really glad you asked me this. So my first one is something that I read in my my book by Janelle Muller, and it's about so Lady Jane's Grey's prayer book, which she took to the scaffolding. Uh, basically, Janelle Muller has done this research and realised that the book was actually Catherine Parr's. Um, and so she, when Lady Jane Grey was um, on her execution in 1553, she entrusted the book to Sir John Bridges, um, who was the lieutenant of the tower. And within the book, you've got her writing, and they said it's, it's, um, they're like good, they're, they're brief messages of comfort from Jane and Guilford Dudley, her husband, um, saying goodbye to, their, to her father. Um, but Janelle Miller's done this sort of research and realised that handwriting is actually Catherine Parr's and she believes that Catherine Parr would have, she, Jane would have been sort of interested in it when Catherine died um, in September 1548. Um, and the other one is that she had a black silk nightgown just like Anne Boleyn. Amazing. Yeah. They knew what, I feel like maybe her sister Anne was like, listen, I saw what that did to old Henry. You need to get one of that. Um, but they are, yeah, there's, but there's, I always find fascinating information, but that they're my, they're my cool, my cool little tidbits for you. Amazing. So again, before I let you go, have you got anything you would like to say to the listeners? Um, yes, I actually, I do. Basically, I never, ever would have thought that my side hustle would have attracted so many followers and they're so engaged and they're so interested in what I have to say. And honestly, from the bottom of my heart, it's incredibly touching and it's a joy to be part of this community, you know, uh, and it's, you know, obviously a couple of off the cuff comments, but it's really full of like minded people. And I think that, you know, it's escapism for people. And I just want to, you know, I'm going to keep doing what I do. And I hope that people enjoy it. And I hope that this podcast hasn't scared people off. Um, but I just want to, you know, I want to promote this amazing woman. And I think I really hope you can see from my heart. Like I just do this on the side. It's just something I just do. And I just hope I can, you know, I hope it rubs off on people. And I hope to continue. And thank you so much for letting me talk to you for all this time about Catherine Park I honestly feel elated honestly thank you so much for coming on I've loved your content for a while and I couldn't think a thought of a better guest for my podcast thank you Jessica so much you've been a wonderful host I felt you really looked after me so thank you so much You're welcome.